Okay, if you have your Bibles, um, let's take it and open it to Psalm 131. Psalm 131, a very short psalm, and that the title of the sermon would be to calm your soul for 2024, calm your soul for 2024, and this is a perfect psalm, a psalm to memorize, to remember when you are struggling with fear and anxiety, pressure, and um, this is a psalm I turn to over and over and over again, and full disclosure, I have preached this psalm before um, during covid time, and uh, that was part of a bigger series called Psalms for the Anxious. So that that series is online if you'd like to listen to other psalms as well. But I thought it'd be good for us to revisit the psalm as we study it together. So let's read it together. Um, And this is the word of the Lord, a song of ascents of David. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Let's pray. Father, we ask you for your mercy. Lord, we, um, I can plant, someone else can water, but only God, you can give the growth. And so, Father, we look to you to give the growth even as we study this text, that you would teach us how to cast our anxieties on you. Help us now, Lord. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So yeah, what a unique day, a Lord's Day we have today. We are standing at the doorpost of a new year. There are a few hours left before we enter into the door of a new year. And ironically, although this day is unique in that sense, that it is the last day of the year, It's actually exactly the same as every other day we have. In this way, you can do absolutely nothing to change the past, and you can do absolutely nothing to change the future. You only have right now, here in the present. Sadly, what is so easy for us to do is to worry, think about, occupy ourselves about things and matters which you and I have no control over. It's such a human thing to do. Now, I'm not speaking about godly planning for the future. That's good, right, biblical to plan ahead. But I'm speaking about that tendency to think about what is to come and then to act out of sinful anxiety. That's why we look at Psalm 131 together. Here we see how David quieted and calmed his own soul in verses 1 to 2. And then in verse 3 tells us to do the same. Verse 1 and 2, David's example, David showing us how he did it. And then verse 3, telling everybody else to do it. Therefore, this psalm will either comfort you or equip you. So it will either comfort you because you might currently be in an anxious, troubled uh, situation in your life. Or it will equip you for when you will be anxious or troubled. So it's either going to be comforting or help you when you need it. Now, what should really stand out for you and surprise you is what we read in verse 2. Verse 2 says, But I have calmed and quieted my soul. Who calmed David's soul in this verse? David did. Now, that's surprising. I thought he would have said, The Lord comforted, quieted, calmed my soul. You, O Lord, did that. But that's not what he says. He says, 
I did this. Now that's both encouraging and convicting at the same time. It's encouraging because it shows that you can calm and quiet your soul. It's possible. Right? It's also convicting because it means you and I have a responsibility to learn how to do this. This won't come naturally. This is something you need to learn by God's grace. And let me be clear. I don't think this is going to be easy. I don't think this is like a quick fix. Uh, one, two, three, there you are. You, are. you have a calm and quiet soul. This might be a bloody fight for the calm and the peace for your soul. Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon said that this psalm is the short, one of the shortest to read and one of the longest to learn. And I, I agree, it's a short, short psalm, short and sweet, but it might take the rest of your life to learn how to make this psalm your own, how to enter into its experience. Now, you might hear that and think and be tempted to say, yes, well, but I'm, I'm glad David could learn that, but you just don't know my situation. You just don't know what I am going through in my life. Well, it doesn't take much reflection to know what David went through and that his suffering, his trials was quite serious. Saul wanted to kill him and he twice had to evade his spear. That, that could be quite traumatic if you, would, if you would ask me. He was hiding in caves, hiding in rocks, hiding as a, as an, as a fugitive, trying to save his own life from Saul, trying to kill him. And remember as well, he even fled from his own son who tried to kill him. Don't you think those are circumstances that might cause you some anxiety, some stress? <laughs> okay. Yet, David learned to calm and quiet his soul. He could do that. So unless your life is in danger or you are fleeing from a powerful ruler or even your own son to kill you, I would say you can do this as well. And even if that was true, you can still do it because that's what David did. Now, the question is how? How did David do this? In this, in this psalm, David shows us four ways, four ways how to calm and quiet your soul before the Lord under immense pressure by praying, by reminding, by trusting, and by preaching. So firstly, the way David calmed his soul was by praying. Notice the first two words of Psalm of the first verse. He says, O Lord. He turns to God in prayer. This solution is so simple and yet one we so often neglect. Our prayerlessness is one of the biggest reasons for our restless souls. This is what scripture consistently commends as the solution to our anxiety. Listen to Psalm 4 verse 6 to 7. It says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which, trans, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Have you tasted this verse yet? Have you tasted this verse and felt the peace of God, which doesn't make sense, transcends, surpasses all understanding, guarding your heart and your mind? If not, get praying. Start praying. Open your heart to the Lord. Peter says that one of the most humbling things to do is to pray. 1 Peter 5, 6. Humble yourselves, therefore under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. 
This is why David was a man after God's own heart. He learned to look to God in every circumstance. In success, he praised God. In trials, he trusted God. In times where it looked like God wasn't coming through, he waited upon God. There's a wonderful example when David and his men came back, came back to Ziklag and found their wives and their children kidnapped. One of those trials that I, I can't even imagine. And we see how David responded. It's a beautiful example. 1 Samuel 30 verse 4 says, Then David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. David's two wives also had been taken captive, Arnaim and Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. And then we read these, this line, but David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Under immense pressure, David strengthened himself in God and made a plan and that, and, and by God's help, it succeeded. Now, in strong contrast, and I think the author of Samuel made this on purpose, how Saul handled pressure in the very next chapter. In 1 Samuel 31, when the Philistines came to take Saul, what did Saul do? Instead of strengthening himself in God, the sad end of his life is that he committed suicide. So here we have David and Saul, two people in contrast under pressure, let me ask you this, where do you turn to when you are under pressure, when you are distressed? To what do you turn to? Have you learned to say, oh Lord? Now when you think of 2024 or when you think of maybe family relationships or when you think of the future, what makes you anxious? What makes you worried? What needs do you have? What is regularly on your heart and your mind? Pray about that. Go to God in prayer until that supernatural peace is yours, which surpasses understanding. But to do that well, you need to know yourself too. We need to know the Lord, but we also need to know our own hearts. Notice how clearly what David does in verse 1 again. He says, O Lord, and the very first thing he says is, My heart is not lifted up. David could speak to God about his heart because he knew what was going on in there this is enlightened self-knowledge something i think very few people have you need that how can you cast your anxieties on the lord if you don't even know what your anxieties are if you don't take time to think about what you're thinking about how you respond to certain situations this means that we need to take time to think through our worries. Often when you are overwhelmed with grief or worry or some other overwhelming emotion, pause and ask yourself, what was I thinking about? Was there any event? Was there anything that triggered these feelings to just explode out of proportion? And then go to God with your heart. You can even go to God with your confused heart. <laughs> Say, Lord, I don't even know what's wrong with me, but I come to you. I trust you. And what David says is really surprising. He says, oh, Lord, my heart is not what? Lifted up. That's another way to say, Lord, I am not proud. I am not seeking for glory, for honor, for a higher position in life. I am content with the position and the place and the, peop the, the, the wife you have given me. 
He's not jealous of others' success. He's humble at God's feet and content with what God gave him. Now, let me ask you this. Isn't that a proud thing to say? Oh, Lord, I am not proud. There's a saying, proud people think they are humble, and humble people think they are proud. And I think that's true. So what's going on here? How can David say, I am not proud? I don't know if any of you could say to the Lord, I am not a proud person. And there your humility runs away, right? So what's happening here? How could David say something like that? Well, remember what was happening in David's life. People were constantly accusing him of wanting the throne of Saul. Saul himself said to Jonathan that until David is dead, your, th- your kingdom won't last. So many people accuse David of wanting to steal the throne from Saul. But that's not true. David said to the Lord, Lord, I do not desire higher things out of your timing. I do not desire the throne. And he proved it so many times. Remember, he could have taken Saul's life twice in his sleep or once in the cave. And he didn't because he, do- he doesn't want to take the throne before God's time. God is, for God is the vengeance. So what David says here is much the same as what Peter said to Jesus after he asked him three times, do you love me? What did he say? Oh, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. That's kind of what David is saying. Lord, you know all things. You see my heart. I do not, I'm not proud. What others have accused me, I do not desire. I trust in you. Beloved, this one point might be all you need. Okay, we could have, we, we, we might have ended the sermon right here and said, go, okay, go, pray. But there is still more. David also calms and quiets his soul by reminding himself, by reminding, that's the second point. So first, by praying, but secondly, by reminding himself that he is not God. Notice the progression in this verse from David's heart to his eyes to his hands. In verse 1, he says, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things. You see, so what you set your heart upon, your eyes will go to. And what your eyes go to, your hands will occupy with. Look at what your hands are doing and see where your heart has led you to. Now, he says his eyes are not raised too high in the sense of looking to things which does not belong to to him. Satan is an example of this. His heart was lifted up. His eyes was raised to the throne of God, and he wanted that throne for himself. He even tried to, to tempt Jesus like this, right? Put him on the temple show or on a high mountain, showing him all the glory and the kingdoms, and says, all this can be yours if you would bow down and worship me. In other words, Jesus, you don't need to suffer to get this. You can have it now. So David was tempted as well. Here is Saul right in front of you. Kill him, and you, the kingdom is yours. But both Jesus and David rather trusted God in his timing than to take matters into their own hands. They refused to do what only God could do. In verse 1 at the end, that's what he means when he says, I do not occupy myself with what things? Things too great and too marvelous for me. What are marvelous works? Right throughout the Psalms, only God does marvelous works. Just turn back to Psalm 96, verse 3. Psalm 96, verse 3, just as an example. Psalm 96, verse 3 says, Declare his glory among the nations. He is marvelous. 98, verse 1. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. 
You see, when David says, I do not occupy myself with things too marvelous, too great for me, he's saying, I'm not going to do things which only you can do. He could calm his soul by reminding himself there are things only God can do. I wonder how much of our restlessness is because we are occupying ourselves with things that, are, that only God can do. I wonder how many times we try and carry burdens on our shoulders, which were only meant for almighty shoulders to carry. I wonder how easily we start to think about things which would not make a difference, but because they are outside of our control, because of our limitations, we worry about them. So it all comes back to just true contentment with your limitations. What you can do and what you cannot do. Knowing your limits. Being content with the very life God has given you. Not wanting more. Trusting, waiting on God. Now that doesn't mean to neglect means, of course. To plan, to desire, to increase your wealth, for example. That's not wrong. I'm just saying you can do that while being content. Not being anxious. And the moment you start to list all the things you have no control over, I think there's very few things to worry about <laughs> that's left. Let me just mention a few for you. You are not in control of the government and who's in authorities. Romans 13, what does it say? That no authority is there except by God, by his will. You have a responsibility. You have to vote. You have to be respons a responsible citizen. But the Lord is in control. Don't be anxious about those things. Trust God. Don't be overly focused on that. You also don't have any power over life and death. You don't have power over the day you die or the day somebody else's dies. Sometimes we are so anxious, we make stupid decisions, bad decisions, because we try to just save our lives and be in control of our lives. I've heard, for example, stories of people in, in the times of COVID who overdosed on medicine for COVID because they just didn't want to have COVID. That's an example of being so overly anxious about things they don't have control over. You are not even in control of any plans you make for the future. James 4, one of my favorite, favorite passages, James 4 verse 13. So this is for everybody who has maybe has made some New Year's resolutions. Now, I just want to say full disclosure, I personally like making New Year's resolutions but listen to what this text says. Come now, you say, today or tomorrow or next year. Well, tomorrow is next year, so that, that still works. Tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet, you do not even know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance and all such boasting is evil. Make your plans. That honors God. But it dishonors him if you think it, you have the final say in your plans. Your plans will work only if the Lord wills. That's how you should say. So rest. Don't occupy yourself with things too great for you. You also don't have any power to atone for your sins or for other people's sins. The only thing you bring to the table of your salvation is your sin. That's what you contribute. Your sin is as permanent as the leopard's spots. 
So many people try and they occupy themselves by working so hard to clean themselves up, to try and get their sin out of their lives, all the guilt they are battling with. They run to and fro and do as many righteous deeds they can. They help the poor. They read their Bibles. They get baptized. They join the church. They pray a prayer. Surely I would be good enough, right? What a burden. And this burden is a burden you cannot carry. You cannot get rid of sins done against an infinitely holy and righteous God. It would take you an eternity to atone for your sins. But oh, what marvelous work has Christ done for us. That's marvelous. Where we failed, he succeeded. Where we disobeyed, he obeyed. Where we sinned, he died in our place and paid for every last one of them. His work was so perfect, so marvelous, that when he died, he said, it is a finished work. Like our high priest could sit down at the right hand of the Father because it's finished. Beloved, it is finished. Your sins are paid. Not your sins in part, but the whole was nailed to the cross and you bear it no more. It is well with your soul. That's why we sing that, right? We should sing that more. The Father loves you. The Son's grace is enough for you. And the Spirit's fellowship and communion is available to you right now. You see, um, Paul Tripp makes this beautiful example. He says, Christians are, are good to, they understand past grace, that Jesus died for our sins. They understand future grace, that one day oh, when Jesus comes again, we will be completely set free. But we do a horrible job of understanding present grace. The right here, the right now, the right in the middle of your sin, in the middle of your failure, there is grace. There God loves you. There you can come as you are without trying to work it off, pay it off, pay off your debt. It's an unpayable debt. And some of you do not know what I am talking about. This grace that can forgive you of all your sins. You have never tasted God's grace. You are either doing your own thing, living in your sin, or you are trying to save yourself. Humble yourself tonight. Humble yourself before God. Come to Christ in humility. Repent and put your trust in Christ. To trust in Christ means to believe that he is who he said he is. He is the Son of God, the Messiah, the one who died on the cross, rose from the dead, seated at the right hand. To believe that. But it's more. Faith is also to entrust yourself to him. It's a commitment to him. It's to give yourself to him. To follow him. It is making a deposit of your soul into the hands of Christ. Like that man on the cross saying, Lord, think about me. So you can roll your soul upon him. So calm and quiet your soul by reminding yourself of these things, that there are things outside of your control. Don't worry about those things. Don't occupy yourself of those things. But thirdly, you should also calm and quiet your soul by trusting God. Trusting him. I love verse 2. Verse 2 is a beautiful example of trust. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. 
This is a beautiful illustration. It both shows the process of trusting God and the end result. Think of the process of weaning a child. A child that is on the breast is dependent for his mother's milk. But there comes a time when a child needs to be weaned. This means withholding that precious milk intentionally so that the child can learn to be independent and start eating solid foods. And hell knows no fury like a baby who wants its milk, right? They might be crying and there's often even anger at the mother. How could you take this away from me? I, don't you know I need this to live, to, to get another days on, right? But that momentary discomfort, suffering is for that greater good, to reach full maturity. And then if you think of a child that is weaned, that child no longer wants the mother for what he or she can get from the mother, but is content to just be with the mother. Her presence is enough. To be seated at the table with, her, with the siblings around is all they, that child needs. I'm amazed. If you look at a child, it's really the picture of trust, right? Uh, Jordan or Alaka, if you look at those kids or any of your kids, or the kids coming, <laughs> okay? They can be in the middle of a pandemic, in the middle of international war, in the middle of economic crisis, and they can just enjoy themselves with perfect calm. Why? Because mom and dad is close by. Mom and dad is near. They have infinite money. They can buy ice cream whenever they like, right? <laughs> so why should I worry? That's true of believers as well. God sometimes will wean us off from the world or our comforts or the things we look to to be our ultimate source of comfort. He takes those things away. He might send us through trials and sufferings, which makes us cry and troubled. And sometimes when he does that by his infinite wisdom and his perfect love for us, we are also like that baby that cries and asks God, God, don't you know I need this? I needed that thing you took away from me. And the Lord says, no, no, you don't need that. You only need me. My grace is sufficient for you in this suffering, in this trial. When God brings that suffering into your life, it is his grace that brings it in. You see, we love God's grace until it brings suffering into our lives. We love the grace that forgives us. But God's grace also sustains us in our suffering. And oh, think of that end process. What peace, what joy comes to the believer that has learned the secret that just to be with my father is enough. Lord, I, don't long, I no longer want you for everything you can give me. You are enough, Lord. Your presence is all I desire. You are my highest treasure, my deepest comfort, my all in all. And unless he is, he will continue to wean you <laughs> until he is. And that's love, beloved. That's what love does. So trust him. Trust him like a child, like a weaned child with its mother. Learn to say, God is in control even over this suffering, over this circumstance. He is in control. I can trust. And see how your soul calms down. Lastly, we also calm and quiet our souls by preaching. 
to ourselves. Preaching to ourselves. This is um, verse 3. So now David turns to Israel and says, O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. So what David is, has experienced for himself, he now commands others to say, come, do the same thing. Do what I have done. Hope in the Lord. It's beautiful how trust, hope is synonymous. Trusting God, hoping in God is the same thing. Now we need these kinds of commands. It's not enough for us just to spectate how other people do it. We need to hear the commands. You do it. Go. You now. Trusting God. Hope in Him. We need to take these truths and even preach them to ourselves. The best way to do that is to memorize the psalm. It's three verses. I, th I don't think it's that hard. Try it. And if you memorized it and the next trial comes, it says, oh Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. And you feel, feel even as you just meditate or say those words out loud, how your soul calms down. Notice what he says at the end. I love this at the end when he says, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. He's saying, some of you haven't even started to hope in him. Start now. And for those of you who have started, continue to do so forever. Don't stop. And that would include all of us. There won't be any person here that either hasn't started or started. So hope in the Lord both now and forevermore. So how do you calm and quiet your soul? Well, this short psalm teaches us how by praying to the Lord about our hearts, what's happening by reminding ourselves that we are not God, by trusting in the Lord as our heavenly Father who always does what is good for us, and by preaching God's word both to ourselves and to others to hope in the Lord forever. So will you join me doing that for 2024? Amen. Let's pray. Father, forgive us for being like an unweaned child that squirms and cries and thinks that you do not love us when we face trials and sufferings in our lives. Forgive us for not believing that you love us, that you are working all things for good for us. Forgive us, Lord, for not leaning on you, trusting you, praying to you, Help us, Father, to take these truths and these verses and hide them in our hearts that we may not sin against you, O Lord. Lord, only you know the future. Only you know what's going to happen tomorrow, tonight. So teach us how to trust and to rest and not to be overly occupied with things that we cannot control. But thank you, Lord, that you are our God, Thank you for our church, Lord, that you've given us. We don't take that for granted. We thank you for, for this church, and we pray that we would be a faithful bride, a bride ready when you return, Lord. Please be glorified in our fellowship, Lord, and um, thank you for this year once again. In Jesus' name, amen.